Good morning. We are looking at the seventh chapter of First Corinthians this morning in preparation for one thing following another in this letter. And I want to share with you uh, the, the situation for many years when it came to this chapter in First Corinthians, I had a lot of misgivings about some of the terminology. And I'm comfortable with it now because I'm a, I have a little more light on the subject as far as the, the time elements within the scripture. And that is something very important to the understanding of this chapter and the things that it's teaching. In, it begins with the idea of the apostle saying, now concerning the things about which you wrote to me. So these were questions that came to him through those that came to him with uh, not only questions but concerns and things that were going on and we want to, we, we need an answer, we need guidance and that's what of course the apostle was doing as he responded to those bringing these concerns and here this is just another item if you will, another item. And the teachings that followed, though, in this chapter, were of great concern to the brethren in Corinth. These were things that they were concerned about. They needed, they needed questions asked. Remember, a lot of them came from a society that really there weren't boundaries that were anywhere close to even the Jewish concepts of uh, men and women, uh, marriage and such. So within the church, there was lots of questions. The questions asked the apostles were centered on, I think, relationships of, of many kinds, husbands and wives, men and women, married or unmarried. And in this chapter, we find that Paul's answers to these questions are tied to the phrase, I'm calling it a phrase, impending distress or present necessity, uh, I believe it says in Young's, uh, impending distress. There's a, that's a qualifier for some of the responses of Paul concerning some issues of relationships. Now think about that. That's of the Christians living in their time, that present necessity. It was a present concern, not just a general concern but a present concern because there were things different right then. Uh, AD, this letter was written about A.D. 57, 58, but during the, the mid-50s up to 70 A.D., there was great turmoil, not only within Christianity, but within the Jewish uh, climate, wherever they lived in the world, and especially, of course, in Palestine, um, when the war began with Rome in 66, AD 66. You're supposed to say AD first. But I keep putting it on the end. You know, these, uh, this time period, remember this time period. 
This is the uh, time period, the early days, I would say, of, of the Roman Caesar, Nero. We all know about Nero. His reign, 54 through 68. He was 17 when he became Caesar, and thanks to his mother uh, poisoning and killing everyone in the way, he became Caesar. So the, the ascension to the position is a little fraught with some difficulties. But nonetheless, this was the Roman way. I want to look at a couple passages concerning this impending distress. 1 Corinthians 7, same chapter, only a little further than we're going to go today. 726. <coughs> That's 7.26, I believe. And this is during his discourse about a certain situation uh, of men and women. He says, I suppose, therefore, this to be good, in other words, his, his advice, because of the present necessity that it is good for a man that the matter be thus. And he goes on to say these things uh, about the various positions a man can be in. Okay, that present necessity is something that I, I passed over for a lot of years. And some of his uh, opinions or advice or even uh, not so much the comments from the Lord himself as the ones made by Paul were of great concern to me um, for a number of reasons as I saw the, the world around me. The other one is... Uh, Let's look at uh, Mark, Gospel of Mark 13, 19 through 20, 19 and 20, rather. Now, these, this is the words uh, recorded by Mark, and these are the words that Jesus said that we also find in uh, Matthew 24 and Luke 21. But here it says this, For those days shall be tribulation. We're talking about the same time period that the church is in here in Corinth. Such as hath not been from the beginning of the creation that God created till now, and may not be. And if the Lord did not shorten the days, no flesh had been saved. But because of the chosen whom he did choose to himself, he did shorten the days. Those chosen, of course, are chosen in Christ. All right, that's the time period. And um, that is, and I, I believe this to be absolutely true, that is exactly what this present necessity or impending distress is all about and why it's brought up during this, this passage that, that has got nothing to do with it except that this is a qualifier, I believe, to some of the things said. And when we come to a couple of these things, actually we can start with, I mean, verse 1. Uh, uh, one might wonder what it really means. Um, but I want you to consider this situation when we read all of the verses here in chapter 7. As a matter of fact, as we read the entire letter, it's all under this same issue of concern. Some things wouldn't apply, but uh, many things do. 
We cannot forget, as I've said many times in the past, that we are indeed reading someone else's mail. This concern is not for us at this moment like it was for them, their distress at that time period. Do we have distresses and things? Oh, yes, of course, but not, not this one. Not this that we read about in the other places worth of Scripture. The apostle knew that very soon the Lord's church would have much more trouble. They had trouble, but they were going to have much more. If you read the history uh, through that time period, you'll, you'll agree, of course, with this. The time prayer, uh, frame now is around AD 57 or 58, the time of this letter. Uh, the foe at that particular time were the unbelieving Jews. They were diametrically opposed to the way, that is, the way of Christ, Christianity, um, the new covenant as we know it. They were opposed to that, and they persecuted the Jews that had turned to Christ whenever they could. Also, they had um, uh, the Judaizers, those Christians within the church that persecuted him because they weren't being Jewish enough and on and on. Also, they had pagans that within the lands that were outside of Palestine. They were not really that friendly with Christianity, even though it posed no real threat to them. Nonetheless, there was lots of troubles. But soon, Rome, under Nero, would commit to the elimination of Christians within their empire, or his empire, as he thought it. And, and this really got heavy from about A.D. 60 through 70. Rome was basically at war with the Jews and the way, and the way being the followers of Jesus, the Nazarene Christians, as we call them. Because neither group, Neither group would submit to Nero as their god, little g. Many of the Caesars consider themselves to be gods, and some didn't, such as Vespasian, the uh, father of um, uh, Titus. He rejected the issue of divinity for the Caesars completely. So it was, a different, it was different with other different Caesars and things of that sort changing political climates, if you will. But their religion and their government were together, mixed together in a disastrous way. These circumstances create quite a difficult atmosphere for the relationships between men and women. Husbands and wives or unmarried men and women and the thinking, the thinking and thought pattern that they were having concerning marriage. This was Paul's concern then. And in some points, some of these comments of Paul may not really be relevant for us today or any time after A.D. 70 because we are not part of that present distress. Yet, in a general way, uh, these Things spoken of in this chapter, these relationships and the, and the foundations of them are sound for any time. And also, don't forget, we're talking 
here to the people of the church about these things. And at the end of what I'll, just before, including up to verse 16 is where I'm going, there's mention there of uh, unbelievers married to believers, and there's a little different look at it. But basically, these things are for believers, uh, for the Christian people. So let's look at it. Uh, the first section, I have entitled Action, Actions for Men and Women that are Pleasing to the Lord. <clears throat> because of what's said, just listen to it, and we don't have to uh, describe every single thing here. We know what's being spoken of. But look at the first verse. And concerning the things of which ye wrote to me, good it is for a man not to touch a woman. If you stopped right there, the end of civilization as we know it, right? Why is it good? Well, it's good for a number of reasons. Uh, we don't know there. Are we talking about married people? or un We don't know. It's just man and woman. By the way, the, the Greek language, when we got an issue with the, the terminology we use, husbands and wives, there isn't really a Greek word for that. Um, but within the context of what is being said, you always know whether these are husbands and wives or unmarried. Okay, So there's no real concern about it, but I just want to say that when we have a verse like that outside, that we don't really know except uh, I can tell you that these are just, this just means man and woman. We're going to go through verse um, 7 here. Verse 2, and because of the whoredom or um, uh, whatever your Bible uses there, uh, fornication is a common word in the King James, because of the fornication, uh, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her proper husband. To the wife, let the husband, the due benevolence, render, and in like manner also the wife to the husband. The wife over her own body hath not authority, but the husband. And in, the, in like manner also the husband over his own body hath not authority, but the wife. Defraud not one another except by consent for a time, that you may be free for fasting and prayer, and again may come together that the adversary may not tempt you because of your incontinence. And this I say by way of concurrence or concession, not of command. Verse 7, For I wish all men to be even as I myself, but each his own gift hath, hath of God, indeed, uh, one indeed thus, and one thus. Men have different gifts that, in that way. So, we understand about the issue of husbands and wives in the Greek, but as we see here, the context always shows us what we're talking about, husbands and wives or just men and women. And the context, I think, here is also clear in the idea that husbands and wives must have a total cooperation in their marriage in all things. 
In other words, cooperating um, to set things on a on a on a plane that is a usable uh, living experience. To have that peace that the Lord will for husbands and wives. To have peace in the family that way. For the sake of the husbands and the wives and the children and everyone in general. I think that's the Lord's will and the apostle knows it. This I say in way of concession, says Paul, not of a command. So we look at these things he said. And while we're going to find all the way through this, that he will make sure that what he says and what the Lord commands is clearly understood. Not, not meaning that what he says is up for debate. Uh, I don't believe it's that way. Remember, uh, this is scripture. Remember, this is the apostle of Christ. Remember, this is inspired writing. So this qualifier doesn't take away all those other things. This I say in way of concession. His wish is that all men could be like him at that time and with the understanding he had also. The unmarried. Uh, He was unmarried at this time. Uh, This, he says, to lighten the load of the time of tribulation upon the people. Not only the husbands, but the wives. But that's all, the, that's all this concern is about. It's about the, the issue of making it a better, getting through tribulation better without some added issues coming into it for each individual person. And I, I believe that's the idea here. All men could be like him. You know, it's always a debate, was the Apostle Paul married? Well, because of his position in in Judaism, uh, men were usually married by the time they were 18, especially men like him that were the, the, the grandson and, and, a, and a son of a Pharisee, and he himself was studying to be a Pharisee and, and did so. It was very, it was customary, okay? But what happened to Paul? What happened to Saul? We don't hear anything about Saul or his wife or anything else to do with his family. We only hear about Saul and his father being a Pharisee also. His teacher, you know, um, and other teachers. So we don't know. Um, Although everything in the Jewish culture tells us that he was a married man. But what happened? He stopped being all those things in way of a, a, a political or cultural thing, when he became the Apostle Paul. When he set aside these things and proclaimed Jesus of Nazareth as God's Messiah. What happened to him? Was he well-liked? Did the Pharisees welcome him with open arms and bring him in? No, no. And it's, a good, it's, a, it's very possible that his wife, if, if she hadn't passed away or something by then, he may have been separated from his family, all of them. The only thing we hear about is what we're studying here in our morning class on Sunday. Uh, his sister, her son, came and found heard that there was a plot to have Paul killed in Jerusalem and 
he went to the, the Romans and told them. So there was a family member still in current, concerned enough that Paul wouldn't be murdered. We don't know. But that isn't the issue here. The issue is, at that moment, Paul had, did not have concern for uh, wives and children. The other apostles had wives. Paul said so. And mother-in-laws and all the whole gamut. And that was of great concern. We've all heard the story of Peter and his wife being crucified. I don't believe the story because I don't think it happened in Rome. I'm very, very positive that he never left. He never was in Rome. Peter wasn't. But there is a particular religious group that would just, they just got to have him there. But that doesn't mean that he was. So, I believe that's the issue. He wants to spare and lighten the load of the tribulation that is at hand, more tribulation, much, much worse for the folks in Corinth or anywhere else. So the next section is the issue dealing with the passions and emotions of men or women um, because <laughs> I'm sure these are some of the questions that were asked that he's giving an answer here, starting with verse 8. He said, And I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I. What's that? No wife or no husband. And if they have not um, continence or an ability, let them marry. For it is very better to marry than to burn. So if, if there's no, no self-control in this issue, you should marry in, in a proper way instead of uh, having all sorts of other problems that could lead to sin. Verse 10, And to the married I announce, not I, but the Lord. Now, that, I believe that means not just I, just myself, but also the Lord concurs with this. Let not a wife separate from her husband. We're talking about Christian people here, remember. Don't, don't get derailed here yet. But if she may separate, let her remain unmarried. Or to the husband, let her be reconciled. And let not a husband send away his wife. We're going to... That's the last verse we'll read in this. Now... The I say, not the Lord. To remember that. Because the Lord's included in this. Why? Because we're talking about married people in the church. So obviously there is a command from the Lord through the apostles. In verse 8. But Paul is in agreement, of course. These men and women are Christian people, not people of the world. Keep saying that because I want to because it's very easy for us to bring in humanity into everything that we read in Scripture. But it's, it's dangerous to do that. Because we just, we just can't say that is so. People of the world really have no compulsion to submit to these instructions. Have you noticed that they don't? I haven't seen it much. Uh, uh, there are many, of course. 
But typically, these things with marriage and fidelity and all of these things are simply up for whatever uh, wind is blowing this way or that in society. But I think they would be a lot better off, people of the world, if they would follow these things that is being taught here. And you know, a lot of people do. And there's people, I've had people tell me that they've known people that would have nothing to do with the God of heaven or the church or anything else, but lived an exemplary life, not only law-abiding, but moral and everything else. That's just that's such a waste of good people. But you know, it isn't good people. Being a good person is not key to living with God forever. Only those that are in Christ, only those that need a Savior and admit that they need a Savior and admit that they have sin, they will live forever with God. And there's a lot of good people that do that. The next section, the last that I'll be talking about today is that Christians that are married to unbelievers um, and what's the Lord's will here? Now, we don't want to look at this wrongly. I don't believe that Christians should marry those outside of the Lord. It's not practical and it causes, can cause a lot of turmoil for everyone involved. <clears throat> I know some, some will debate that. Um, but here's a teaching uh, that the Lord has given us through the apostle about these things. And there are cases. In the days of Paul, uh, when the gospel first went out, there were people that became Christians, but their spouse did not. That's not their fault. The spouse just did not do it. It could be the husband or the wife. So what was, how were they to live together? That's the idea. And I'm sure that was another one of the very pertinent questions. 12 through 16. And to the rest I speak, you see, now we've got others coming in. Not just the Christians, but also unbelievers. Now to the rest I speak, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife, unbelieving, and she is pleased to dwell with him, let him not send her away. And a woman who hath a husband, unbelieving, and he is pleased to dwell with her, let her not send him away. For the unbelieving husband hath been sanctified in the wife, and the unbelieving wife hath been sanctified in the husband. Now, don't think that sanctification means you're a child of God. It's a state that you're living in. Otherwise, your children are unclean, but now they are holy. This is an interesting teaching. Verse 15, And if the unbelieving doth separate himself, let him separate himself. The brother or sister is not under servitude or bondage, in other versions, in such cases, and in peace hath God called us. So that's supposed to be a peaceful separation without 
the turmoil that many times are so associated. Verse 16, For what hast thou owed, what hast thou known, O wife, whether the husband thou shalt save? Or what hast thou known, O husband, whether the wife thou shalt save? That's a, that's a real qualifier on the end of that. Um, the rest, of course, we're talking about what I would classify a mixed marriage here, uh, not culturally, but mixed believers and unbelievers. And this can happen many times. It even happens, it happens all the time. How do you do that? How do you make these arrangements? Well, this is the idea. This is the way it should be. Uh, I don't see any other, any other way or any other course. But we need to understand, especially what verse 15 that if the unbeliever separates himself, husband or wife, that the, the Christian spouse is not under servitude or bound. Now, what's that mean? Well, there's, there's two words here. There's the, word, there's the Greek word for bound. And, and I've always thought, as a matter of fact, in some Greek lexicons, uh, it will make it very clear that um, the verse found here and the verse found later on in, in verse, uh, or the word, the Greek word, verse 727 and 739 is the word bind, that they're exactly the same word. Well, they're not exactly the same. Um, the other two are used more, well, they're used as a verb, and, and so is this one, but um, the definition of this one is that the word is doulos, Enslaved, subject, or bondage. So, see, this is what a marriage is really about. You know, who God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Of course, God doesn't join together unbelievers, in, in my understanding. But marriage is marriage. And, and many people hold their marriage, even though they have no religion or they do not participate, they still hold that as a sacred thing. And that's why so many folks that have nothing to do with God himself will want to be married in a church because they want that to be <laughs> something that pleases God. Well, I think God would appreciate um, fidelity in any marriage, but this is not the point here. This is an issue... Um, dealing with the Christian person. So this being enslaved, subject, and bound to the one you have married, when they depart, and I don't believe this means, this isn't the idea of, of dying, because there's another verse that has the word dying in it, and uses uh, basically the same word. Thus, when an unbeliever departs, the other is freed, from the bondage of marriage. That's how I see it. Um, not that others don't see this a little different. I have a very good friend that does not see it like that. And when his wife departed and left and married someone else, he refuses to be remarried. 
because he, he feels that he, maybe he shouldn't be as a matter of conscience. So in the other, um, let's look at uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 27 and 39. 27 Okay, 27, we'll do first. Half, hast thou been bound to a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Hast thou been loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. Why? Why? Because of the present circumstances. And then the other one is 39. Uh, 739. A wife hath been bound by law as long time as her husband may live. And if her husband may sleep, she is free to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. Here You see the word bound here? It's almost the same word, not quite. Uh, still having the, the idea of the bound by law here. The Jews had, it was under law, and even the pagans had laws for marriage. But she was free to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. We'll talk about that more when we get there. But I really believe that that statement should be understood by Christian people. Um, we may be freed because of this, but... Uh, are we as a Christian free to marry someone who's not a Christian because that's who we like? Well, I don't believe so. Um, we shouldn't be looking there. Now, the last verse, I think, is, is kind of a key verse. And, and I think I've heard and seen this many times. They even had an argument once with a preacher's wife about this. She was determined I was going to believe this, uh, or go along with her, but I'm not, I did not. Do not marry unbelievers thinking that you will convert them. See, that was her argument. Well, look, well, you should marry an unbeliever. That way you can convert them and bring them into the Lord. Really? I mean, wouldn't that be that's wonderful? And I've even seen it occur. But is it the thing to do in light of Scripture? Because Paul says it's not for sure. It's not for sure. You may not do it. You may not be able to accomplish it. You, I know you want to, but should you do it? Or should you marry um, someone in the Lord and, and put that concern aside, have that harmony already there? And now I, I consider my explanation of that verse is, like Paul did, uh, this is from me, not the Lord. I say, not the Lord. My understanding of this. And I've seen many situations within um, the church that talk about both these issues. Think about it in that light. Think about the present distress as we go through this chapter. And think about the things here and and how it do we make mistakes 
and violate some of these things? We probably do. Uh, the thing is, if you know, then you shouldn't. If you know better, you should not. And that's why we go over these texts and try to, try to learn these things, learning the ways of God. And um, we don't come to it with full understanding. But if we're trying, it's a good, that's a good, good way to start your journey. Understand it. If we got questions, the best thing to do is ask older married Christians about questions uh, concerning these things too. They have lots of experience. Okay. We will have our song of invitation just now. Be remembering those that are not with us today due to illness, and there's a bunch of them. Nearer, still nearer. <laughs> 